Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Anchor. It's great to see you all here. My name's Brad. I'm one of the gospel community leaders here at Anchor Church. Uh, We're continuing in our series going through the book of Luke this morning, Good News to the Poor. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, as Jesus calls his first disciples, calls them to be part of his mission to the world. So I'd love you to get your Bibles out. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as our gift this morning. We believe this book is God's word to the world that has good news that will transform your life. So if you've never read the Bible, if you don't really know what it's about, if you don't have a Bible at home, then we'd love to give you one. And you can pick one up from our Connect table on your way out this morning. Also, just to flag with you, we're looking at Jesus calling his first disciples and calling them to be on mission today. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to have a time of prayer where we commission one another to live on mission as God's people. So we're going to invite you to stand up at the end of the sermon, Uh, students, mums and workers. We're going to lay hands and we're going to pray for one another and send one another out on mission. So just to flag that that's coming up. Let's pray before we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will reveal yourself to us again today. We are blind until you help us to see. So open our eyes and open our hearts. We ask that you would take us, that you would change us, and that you you would use us for your mission and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's late at night in Detroit in the 1930s. Three young men hop on a bus And they try and pick a fight with the lone passenger who's sitting up the back. They hurl insults at him, but he doesn't say anything. They keep insulting him, trying to get him to to respond. And doesn't do a thing. Eventually he stands up and he's, he's much bigger than they originally thought he was. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a business card, which he gives to them. And then he walks off the bus. These three young guys gather around the business card to see what it says. And they read, Joe Lewis, professional boxer. These three young guys had tried to pick a fight with the guy who would go on to become heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. And I can only imagine how they would have been feeling, just that it was a terrifying moment of realisation for these guys. They thought they were trying to pick a fight with just some random stranger on the backseat of a bus. Really, they were trying to pick a fight with a professional boxer who could have taken all three of them down by himself. Today, as we look at Luke chapter 5, we're going to see a similar moment of realisation for Jesus' first disciples for some fishermen who thought Jesus was just some teacher. But they see that he is Lord over all the world and so they fall down on their knees before him. So let's have a look at the story together. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, began, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they'd brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, as we take a look at this story... I want you to imagine this encounter with Jesus from the perspective of these fishermen. What do you notice about these fishermen? Well, at the start of the story, we read about the crowds, that everyone else is pressing in on Jesus, desperate to hear the word of God. But the fishermen are not in the crowd. They've just finished an all-nighter of back-breaking work, fishing, they're bringing their boats in, washing in their nets. They're minutes away from going home for a well-deserved shower and sleep. They don't really care about Jesus. They don't want to hear him preach. They're not in the crowd. So what do you think these fishermen were thinking when Jesus approached them and asked if he could use their boats for a stage? Well, when I was going through university, I used to work in a bookshop and the shop used to, to shut at 6 so at 10 to 6, I'd make an announcement over the intercom telling everyone that the shop's about to shut. At 5, or si at five to 6, I'd walk around and any remaining customers, I'd take them up to the front counter to purchase their books. I'd lock the front door, show everyone out. You don't want anyone coming in just before close because you know it's going to make you late. Well, Jesus here, it's not like he's quickly rushing in at five to six to just purchase a book and then run out. It's like he's coming after they've locked the doors, as they're counting up their cash, as they're about to go home, and asking them to stick around for another few hours as he teaches the crowds. For these fishermen, Jesus is an unwanted interruption that's making them late. But because teachers and rabbis of the day were given respect and honour, they reluctantly let him use their boats. But as we go on in the story, we see that Jesus wants much more than their boats. After he's finished preaching and teaching the crowds, he asks them to go throw their nets out again. And this is after they've already been out all night, they've already packed everything away, they've brought their boats in, they've washed their nets, they're ready to go home. These guys are professional, experienced fishermen. And here's some teacher telling them how to do their job. You can only imagine the tone of Simon's reply. Master, 
We toiled all night and took nothing. There's nothing out there. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. What happens next is truly astonishing. Now, what do you think these fishermen were thinking when they went out again and threw their nets out the side of the boat? They probably expected exactly what happens the night before when they threw their nets out. They're not going to catch a thing. You can just imagine Peter throwing his nets out, rolling his eyes, waiting there to tell Jesus, I told you so, Jesus. There's nothing out there. What a waste of time. But then he sees a bit of tension on the net. It's nothing unusual. They've caught fish before. They're fishermen. But he starts to pull it in and it doesn't take him very long to realise that he can't pull in this catch by himself. So he calls all his mates over. He's going to need some help. And all of them are trying to pull it in, but the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. This is two nine-metre fishing boats. So we're talking the width of almost this room. Thousands upon thousands of fish are jumping into this boat so that it's sinking. Probably more fish than these fishermen even thought were, were in the lake. How did this happen? The night before, they caught nothing. And now, a few hours later, there's a massive catch. This is no coincidence. It's not like Jesus had a lucky guess that the tide and the, wave and the winds were right to go out fishing. It was the fishermen who had all the fishing knowledge, all the fishing experience. They knew the best places and times to go fishing, not Jesus. And the fishermen had been out all night and hadn't caught a thing. Jesus has done this. It's a miracle. And it's the biggest catch of fish they ever would have taken. So how do they respond to this astonishing event? Well, take a look in your Bibles at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's been a remarkable change in these fishermen. They've moved from reluctance to fear. What have they seen? What have they understood that makes them respond like this, falling down on their knees? Well, at the start of the story, Peter thought Jesus was just some teacher. In verse 5, he calls Jesus Master. And Master was the title used in the first century for teachers and rabbis. He just thinks he's some teacher. But in verse 8, Peter doesn't call Jesus Master anymore. What does he call him? He calls him Lord. He knows that Jesus is the one who has caught this massive catch and that the only one who can control the natural world is God himself. Peter has this terrifying moment of realisation that Jesus is no mere teacher. He is Lord over all the world. And so he falls down on his knees because he knows he's not worthy to stand in the presence of the Most High God. Now this is exactly the same response that John the Baptist had when we were looking at his story a few weeks ago, a few chapters back in Luke. John the Baptist said, He who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
When you see that Jesus is Lord over all the world, the only appropriate response is to fall down on your knees before him. And this is exactly the same response that the leper has in the next story. Let's have a look at chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, what did he do? He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, in a religious society obsessed with ritual purity, this guy, the leper, he was an outcast. He was considered unclean because of his skin disease and he couldn't participate in normal life. No one would have anything to do with him. People weren't allowed to touch him because if they did, they too would be made unclean. The leper desperately knows his need and he falls down on his knees before Jesus. He doesn't question Jesus' ability to heal him, only his willingness, because no one else was willing to help him. Now compare this leper with the fisherman. What's the similarity? They both respond in the same way to Jesus. They both fall down before him. The difference is that the leper sees his need immediately, Whereas the fishermen, they're around Jesus for some time before seeing their need. Now, for some of us here, you might be more like the leper. Your need is just so obvious and you're so desperate for help. You might be struggling with sin or broken relationships or sickness or struggling at work and you're the first one to put up your hand and say you need help. Be like the leper. And go to Jesus for grace. Look at Jesus' response to the leper. He is willing and able to save. He is compassionate and full of grace. But for some of us, we might be more like the fishermen. You're successful at work or in your study. You appear to have it all together. You're happy. And Jesus just seems like an unwanted interruption. But these successful fishermen who weren't at all interested in Jesus the teacher, when they see that he is Lord, they fall down on their knees because they know that they are not worthy to stand in his presence because of their sin and that they desperately need God's grace. So what about you? Have you had this same moment of realisation that the fishermen have? Have you seen that? Jesus is Lord, not only over all the world, but over your life. Have you seen the sin in your life that makes you so unworthy to stand before him? Have you seen your need for grace? In these stories, we need to identify ourselves with the fishermen and the leper. Their response must also be ours, falling down on our knees. Because we are sinners who are not worthy to stand in the presence of the Most High God. Well, how does Jesus respond to sinners? How does he respond to sinners like the fishermen, like the leper, like us? As as the Son of God, he has every right to cast us out of his presence. Simon Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. 
But really, it should be Jesus saying, Depart from me, sinner, for I am the Lord. We are not worthy to stand before God because of our sin. But to anyone who humbly comes before him, acknowledging their sin and their need for forgiveness, Jesus responds with grace. To the leper, Jesus steps over cultural boundaries of cleanliness to not only say that he'll heal him, but to reach out and touch him. This is an unthinkable sign of love and grace. No one else was willing to even come near him, let alone touch this man. But the man leaves cleansed of his sin, cleansed of his sickness. And Jesus encounters us in exactly the same way. Just as he reached out to touch the leper, he reaches out to us on the cross as he dies in our place for our sin. This is where we see God's grace most clearly displayed for everyone to see. If we come before him acknowledging our sin and asking for forgiveness, just like the leper, he will make us clean. He will wash our sin away and forgive us. Well, Jesus shows grace and kindness to these fishermen as well. Grace that they did not deserve. Take a look at verse 10. The second half of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The thing is that the fishermen should be afraid. They are sinners standing in the presence of the Most High God. But Jesus shows them grace. Not only are they welcome in his presence, Jesus doesn't cast them out, but Jesus wants to use these unworthy men, these sinners, for his mission. He gives them a new identity and a new purpose. They have been fishermen, but from now on, They'll be fishers of men. This is shocking, don't you think? Jesus doesn't go into the synagogue and select his A-team consisting of the best-trained, most eloquent, godly young men. Jesus goes to the lake and calls some reluctant fishermen who didn't really want anything to do with him, who openly confess to being sinners. So if you feel like you're not good enough for God, if you feel like God would never, ever want to use you, well, this story shows us that God uses unworthy people for his mission. And that means he can use me because I'm not worthy. I stand with the fishermen and I know that I am a sinner who is not worthy to stand in the presence of God. And it means that he he can use you as well. Jesus wants to use you for his mission. And just like he called the fishermen to be part of his mission, his call also extends to us. Well, how do the fishermen respond to this call from Jesus? They leave everything in an instant. What would make anyone drop everything and immediately start following Jesus? This isn't just follow him for the rest of the day and then go back to work tomorrow. They're not coming back 
to their boats. And this is after their most successful day of fishing ever. If ever there was a time to stick around, now is the time. They would have made a huge profit from this catch. But they leave everything immediately. Why would anyone do this? Well, this is not their choice to follow Jesus. It's not like they get their notebooks out and write out the pros and cons and sit back and think about it and weigh it up and think that Jesus, Jesus might be worth following. Just as Jesus commandeered their boats a few hours before, Jesus now commandeers their lives. What does he say? From now on, you will be catching men. What gives Jesus any right to do this? Well, as a teacher, as a good man, he has no authority whatsoever to demand their lives. Not even to demand their boats. Not even to tell them how to fish. But as Lord, as the Son of God, Jesus has authority not only over those small things, but over their whole lives. They know this, and that's why they immediately leave everything and follow their Lord. Well, Jesus is still Lord today. He's Lord over all things. He has authority over all the world. He has authority over my life. He has authority over your life as well. But the thing is that you can't simply just have a casual acquaintance with Jesus. It's all or nothing. That's what we see here with these fishermen. They leave everything. Jesus demands it all. There's no sitting on the fence. Jesus isn't just a good teacher that you can come to when you want some good advice. We see here that Jesus is Lord over everything. He is Lord over your life. And Jesus wants to give you a new life and a new purpose to live for him and for his mission. But before we join these fishermen and go out fishing to catch men, we need to be caught. We are the men and women that Jesus wants to catch in the nets of his grace. But I was thinking about it. When you think about fishing or any kind of hunting, what gets caught gets hurt. doesn't get caught willingly. You go fishing and the fish gets caught with a hook, gets its head chopped off, gets eaten. The pigeon gets shot down, plucked and roasted. I want to assure you that this is not what the fishing analogy means. God doesn't want to trap you against your will and hurt you. God wants to set you free. God wants to give you true life with true purpose. To use the fishing analogy, it's more like he wants to catch you out of the trout farm and release you into the river to live as you were really meant to live. He wants to release you from the sin that enslaves you and breaks you. He wants to release you from just swimming around aimlessly to give you real life with real purpose. So what about you? Have you been caught by Jesus yet?
Have you responded to Jesus' call? If you're not a Christian yet, then maybe today is the day that God is calling you to get off the fence, to go all in and to start following Jesus. And we would love you to become one of our family. If that's you, then me and Steve are going to be over in the foyer in our time of worship at the end and we'd love to pray with you as you commit your life to Christ. If you are a Christian, then I want to remind you that your life is not your own anymore. You have a new Lord. You have a new master. So that means we don't live for ourselves and for our selfish desires anymore. We live for him. We live for his mission. Just as Jesus called these fishermen to his mission, he's calling all his disciples, all of us, to be fishers of men. Now, you can't be a disciple of Jesus without being a disciple maker. Mission is not optional. It's not for the special ops Christians, for the super godly and gifted. Mission is for every one of us. Just like Jesus gave these fishermen a new identity and a new purpose, when you become a Christian, you get a new identity and a new purpose from Jesus as well. As Christians, we are now a family of missionaries because of God's grace. This means that mission isn't just a project that we schedule on our calendars. It's not just a task that we can tick off when it's complete. No, because mission is our identity and our life's purpose, we live every day on mission. This is who we are. And that's why mission is right at the heart of our vision for Anchor Church. We want to see people come to know God and become disciples of Jesus. We want to see our city transformed by the gospel for the glory of God. We want to live in community, on mission, for Jesus, because of the new identity that he's given us as his people. Now, for many Christians, when they think about mission, they think about sending a missionary over the other side of the world. But we need to see that there's much as, just as much need for the gospel right across the street, right here in our own backyard. The most generous estimates are that only 8% of Australians are in church. So in a city like Sydney, 4.6 million people, that means that maximum 400,000 people are going to church. But really we know it's far fewer than that. So that means there's well over 4 million people in our city alone who do not know Jesus who have no hope of eternal life, who have no hope of forgiveness of sins. The need is desperate for people to know Jesus. So who, who does God want to use to meet this desperate need? God wants to use every one of you. He's calling all his people to be fishers of men. So what might it look like for us to live every day on mission? Well, I've got three suggestions. First, we are humble missionaries. Second, we are willing to do whatever it takes for the mission. And third, we are dependent on God for the mission. So let's go through them. We are humble missionaries. Before we can take the gospel to others... We first need to fall on our knees before Jesus and see that we have just as much need for God's grace as anyone else. 
When you experience God's grace, it destroys any sense of superiority. We all come to Jesus on equal terms, on our knees. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So as we go out and live every day on mission, there can be no trace of pride in us, can there? Cocky witnesses undermine the message of grace. It's unworthy people, it's sinners that God chooses to use. And we need to remember that. We need to be humble and see our own need for the gospel. We are humble missionaries. Second, we are willing to do whatever it takes for the mission. When Jesus called these first disciples to be part of his mission, they left everything. They were willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the mission. So is that what we should do as well? Should we leave everything? Well, the call to follow Jesus is a costly call. It's all or nothing. There's no sitting on the fence. Jesus demands everything. He calls us to give up our lives, to take up our cross, and to live not for ourselves anymore, but for him and for his mission. So in this sense, the call to leave everything is for everyone. If, you, if you're a Christian, then you leave your old life behind and God gives you a new life with a new purpose to live for him. Now, God will call some of his people to leave everything for the mission. So for you, that might mean moving house to a new area to share life and mission more deeply with your gospel community. Or it might mean cutting back at work so that you can be more invested in mission in your local community. Or it might mean being more invested at work so that you can be on mission in your workplace. Or it might mean changing jobs or getting involved in serving at church or maybe moving to the other side of the world for the sake of the mission. So I want you to pause and consider. Is God calling you to make radical changes in your life for the sake of his mission? Is God calling you to make radical changes in your life for the sake of the mission? But for most of us, God has put us exactly where we are for a reason. We believe that as his people, we are not only saved, but we are sent to our city on mission by God. He has, God has a purpose for you right now, right where you are. And he's calling you to be faithful where he's placed you, not to dream about being somewhere else. If we're called to stay, then we need to still have the same attitude that those first disciples had who left everything. We need to have the attitude that we are willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the mission. Now, for most of us, the vast majority of our week is taken up with work. You're there nine to five or maybe seven to seven or whatever crazy hours you work. You're at work all day, every day, and your co-workers, they're the people that you see most during the week. So if we're going to live every day on mission because of our new identity and our new purpose, then we need to see our workplaces as one of our primary mission fields. Now, just in our anchor family, the people who are gathered right here, we're scattered all across our city, from cafes 
to hospitals, from offices to factories, from schools to students at university to mums in the park with their kids. We've got people working and living in literally every nook and cranny of our city. And that's just our church. Imagine the thousands of other Christians scattered across our city. When you step back and consider it like that, we've got an amazing opportunity to saturate our city with the gospel message. So for you, what might it look like for you to live every day on mission in your workplace? Well, I've got five suggestions, and I'm sure that you might come up with some others. Number one, pray. Pray for your workplace. Pray for your co-workers. Pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus. As you get off the train every day or walk in the door, commit your day to God and ask him to use you powerfully for his mission. Two, work well. The Bible places a really high value on work. So don't equate being a faithful Christian with just showing up to church stuff. Being a Christian impacts all of your life and particularly your work. The Bible teaches that work is meant to help people flourish. It's meant for the common good of society. So work hard at your job for God's glory and for the good of those that your work benefits. Pursue excellence and integrity in all that you do. In all that you do, do it for God's glory. Number three, invest in relationships. The mission is people. So we want to invest in those relationships so that we can catch men and women. So here are some suggestions. Why not instead of eating lunch alone, why don't you intentionally eat with your co-workers? Ask them questions. Get to know their stories. Find out about their families and ask specific questions of how they're going. Why don't you organise social events, after-work drinks, so that you can get to know people more deeply and invest in those relationships? Number four, seek to bless others. At Anchor, we want to live such extraordinary lives that it demands an explanation. We want to live lives of radical generosity and love so that people can see God's love shining through us. So why don't you make a list of your co-workers' birthdays and find a way to bless them on their birthday? Be generous, radically generous. Bring food to share. Shout people lunch. Shout people drinks. Organise and throw office parties as appropriate to your workplace. Christians, if anyone, should be known for celebrating and partying, shouldn't we? We've got so much to be thankful for, for all that God has done for us. Seek to include the people that others ignore, that others overlook. Number five, be open about your faith. This doesn't mean that all you're doing every day is talking about Jesus and being that annoying person who ends up getting fired for evangelism. But when opportunities do come up, don't be shy about being real about what's important to you. Don't be backwards in saying that you're a Christian and saying that you go to church and you love it and saying that Jesus has made a real impact in your life. So they're my five suggestions to live every day on mission in your workplace. Pray, work well, invest in relationships, seek to bless others and be open about your faith. And do all of those things with the attitude that these first disciples had.
being willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the mission. So we are humble missionaries. We're willing to do whatever it takes. And third, we are dependent on God for the mission. When these fishermen went out fishing by themselves, what was the, what was the result? They didn't catch anything. When they went out fishing with Jesus, they got a massive catch. Now I think in this story, Jesus is making a connection between that fishing trip and his mission to catch men. Just as he was in control of that fishing trip, just as that fishing trip was wildly successful, I think he's saying that he's in control of our mission to catch men as well and that we should expect results as we throw the nets out. We should go on mission with confidence in the gospel, knowing that there are plenty of fish in the sea, knowing that Jesus is in control of the mission and that he has promised to build his church. But the only way that we'll catch men is not by, not by depending on our own wisdom and strength, but by depending on God. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing in his ministry. Immediately before this passage and immediately after it, we read that Jesus often withdrew from the crowds and went away to desolate places to pray. Even though he was the Son of God, Jesus was totally dependent on God, his Father, to work through him for the sake of the mission. So if Jesus... you. If prayer was a regular practice for Jesus, then how much more should it be for us? We want prayer to saturate every corner of Anchor Church. We want to be known as a community that's desperately dependent on our God to work powerfully through us to transform this city by the gospel. So to express our dependence on God, to show our desire to live on mission every day as God's people, we're going to do something a bit different now. We're going to have a time of prayer, commissioning one another, sending one another into our workplaces, into our universities, into our neighbourhoods to live on mission. So Ruth, Hope, Steve, if you'd like to come up. Uh, these guys are going to pray for three groups of people now. They're going to pray for students, for mums and for workers. So if you want to live in community, on mission for Jesus... We're going to invite you to stand so we can pray for you. If you see someone around you who's standing, we'd love you to lay your hands on them, to show your support, to pray with us and to commission them for the mission that God has for them. So first, we're going to pray for students. So if you're a student who wants to live on mission, I invite you to stand right now and Ruth will pray for you.